Hello and welcome. My name is Jordan Selleck, CEO and co-founder of 51 Labs. Uh, 51 Labs is a digital marketing firm, events production company, and BD firm focused on the M&A market and VC communities. Uh, a little bit on my background, I did six years of investment banking. Uh, my wife is our co-founder. She did seven years of M&A and corporate securities law. Uh, we have a five-person full-time team. I uh, just want to kind of run you through a little bit of our client base. You can kind of get a sense of uh, the firms that we work with. So, for example, Middle Ground Capital, HKW, uh, Eaton Partners, uh, Stewart Asset Management with Cheryl here on the, on the call, and also uh, Bassett Creek uh, Capital with Rob, which is an example of some of the independent sponsor work that we do. Uh, I won't go into some of the videos and LinkedIn posts that we do, happy to sidebar on that, but some of the facts and figures I do want to highlight are that we are the number one content creator on LinkedIn in the lower middle market. I've been at this for coming up on six years and the number one video creator on LinkedIn in the lower middle market. So reach out to us if you have any questions about how you can market differently in today's environment. I kind of have a thesis that we're at BD and private equity version 3.0 in marketing. Uh, so next over to the slide on our team, we have a five, uh, five person full-time team. Uh, if we're doing video shoots, for example, we did one with six portfolio companies in six different states in 30 days. Uh, and we had our team, but also our network of freelance videographers. Um, so moving on, you know, what I really want to highlight here is uh, 51 vets uh, before we get into the agenda. For the past four years, I've spent a lot of time working with transitioning veterans, uh, primarily from the special operations and fighter pilot communities, uh, worked with over 200 people to get jobs. And the way that you can help is to perhaps be a fireside chat guest do lunch and learns over Zoom, where they speak about lessons from leadership to your firm, uh, can do just info interviews with them or provide internships and jobs. So the person I'd like to highlight today is Mike Luray. He spent 20 years in the SEAL teams, and he is looking for mid to senior level positions uh, in corp dev, strategy, M&A and integration, project management, or operations in software. Um, I'll drop, uh, Nicole, if you wouldn't mind dropping his LinkedIn profile into the chat feature uh, in the attendees, please feel free to reach out to him, connect with him. He's one of many amazing transition veterans that we work with. Next, uh, what I'd like to do is provide a little bit of background of today's event. So Rob Bauer, who's on the panel today, uh, is one of our clients with Bassett Creek Capital. And we were down actually at a shoot in Atlanta for one of his portfolio companies and just kind of talking about the future. And he was just kind of joking, like, I'm just trying to get deals done right now. And it really kind of made us start to think about this unique position um, for the fundless sponsors and the independent sponsors out there who are trying to decide, you know, what do I do now? What do I do next year or the following years? How do I plan for that? Uh, so that was really the, the genesis of this event and thinking through the pros and cons of, you know, fundless or funded, which route is best. Um, so the other questions and topics that we'll be running through today are first, what is uh, the first deal that Rob did? How did he get it across the finish line? You know, now he's up to five portfolio companies. Uh, how did he find a quality capital partner? Next, 
funded or not to be funded? That is the question, and that will be a, a robust discussion, I am assuming. Uh, then Anchor Investors with Cheryl Mejia, uh, who, uh, who started Steward Asset Management, and they specifically look at uh, being an anchor investor and emerging managers. Uh, and then talking about early mistakes and lessons from, from Fund One, uh, and, and Barry Uphoff from Artist Capital will be leading that. So uh, if we can go on to the panelists. I'd like to first have Rob come on to the panel and give a quick introduction. Good afternoon, everyone. And Jordan and 51 Labs, thanks for organizing this panel. My name is Rob Bauer. I'm managing member of Bassett Creek Capital. I've been doing private equity investing for a little over 20 years. Uh, five years ago, I started Bassett Creek Capital an independent sponsor firm. Um, the foundation of the firm is partnership. Uh, we wanna create a culture of teaching and learning from one another. And as Jordan mentioned, um, I've done five acquisitions um, in the last three years and, and currently am chairman of Bassett Creek Services. Alrighty, is it fair to say, Rob, that you've done more M&A deals in restoration and renovation than others? <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, as, as many people can attest to, I'm not a great handyman, but I've done about 30 M&A deals in the restoration and uh, renovation space. And it's, um, it's an industry I know, an industry I love, and I have a lot of great friends in the industry. Awesome. All right. Next on deck, Mr. John Finger. Hi, uh, John Finger, partner with McGuire Woods in Dallas. Uh, my practice consists of representing emerging private equity managers, other committed private equity funds, as well as independent sponsors. Uh, we have the leading independent sponsor focused practice for law firms, as well as host the largest conference for independent sponsor led transactions, which takes place in Dallas and will be in October again after a year off. And really excited to be part of this great panel. All right, Peter. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Peter Rushdie. I'm a managing director with Gladstone Investment. I've been with the firm for 10 years. Uh, what Gladstone Investment is, it's a one-stop buyout fund where we provide all the capital needed to close a deal between the debt and equity capital. Uh, we're also a publicly traded fund, so our fund is evergreen, uh, which gives us a structure that's flexible in both terms of capital as well as the timeline. Uh, roughly a third of our deals we do are with independent sponsors, and over the last decade, we've done uh, approximately 15 independent sponsor transactions. Cheryl. Hi, Cheryl Mejia, Managing Partner, Steward Asset Management. Uh, Steward is an anchor investor to newly forming private equity firms. Uh, we're often a catalyst to the first close, and uh, our institutional investors uh, truly look to us to extend their reach into smaller and newer fund teams. And Barry, last inter intro for you. Yeah, thanks, uh, Jordan. Good morning. Barry Uphoff, uh, founder and uh, managing partner of Mars Capital. We're a, um, a healthcare-focused middle market fund, healthcare services, healthcare IT, and consumer-oriented investments. Uh, we're investing out of our third dedicated fund, which was just under $600 million. Uh, in total, we've invested uh, uh, about a billion two over three funds. Uh, we had uh, a start from a uh, family office that was, uh, in a sense, we kind of function as an independent sponsor of sorts way back before our first fund. And then along the way, uh, we have helped a handful and backed a handful of independent sponsors as they've done transactions and, and helped to get them started. So thank you for having me here today. All right. Let's kick off with Rob. If, if you wouldn't mind just kind of walking us through 
the first deal that you did and just that process of getting the business off the ground, because it's so hard number one to find the first deal than to do the first deal. And I think it could be really helpful to kind of share your experience. And then that'll lead into, you know, how you met Peter and the Gladstone team. Um, and as a reminder to all, we want this to be interactive and fun. So feel free to jump in, interrupt each other and, and, and have the interactive. And to the attendees here, please drop your questions. If we can't get to them, we'll do a part two of this. But Rob, over to you. Thanks, Jordan. You know, when I think about my journey as an independent sponsor about five years ago, you know, when I started Bassett Creek Capital, I was like, oh, I have my own investment firm, but I had to figure out how to get an email address. I had to figure out how to get a website um, and not only, you know, do the, those basic things, but also find source, come up with investment ideas. So, you know, I, I really feel that I am an entrepreneur. So prior to starting Bassett Creek, I had done about 40 deals, um, had, had worked at three successful firms and kind of developed my own investment strategy. So I was looking at a bunch of deals. You know, I, I tend to take a industry focused approach, uh, in, uh, investment thesis focused on industries. Um, I did have experience in the restoration industry, um, you know, prior to, prior to Bassett Creek. And about a year after starting the firm, um, I came across a phenomenal opportunity um, in the restoration space. And, you know, based on my prior experience, I knew I was going to have some headwinds uh, because private equity in the restoration industry, they had mixed success. Uh, so I spent a lot of time, you know, putting together a plan um, in quite detail about what a national restoration company should look like. And kind of going back to, you know, the foundation of Bassett Creek, it, it's partnership. And so everything I was doing was about, hey, what partners do I need, both in terms of finding the deals, running the deals, but also in, 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 in terms of, of capital partners? Um, you, know, um, you know, I'm the only member at Bassett Creek, and you know, I was looking for someone that not only had capital, but could also take the investment thesis, the plan to the next level. And you know, a couple of weeks after I got the company under LOI, I met Peter Rushdie, and Gladstone. And, you know, once we got to talking, um, you know, I thought I had a good plan, but Peter really improved the plan, enhanced the plan. And we decided to partner up. And, you know, three years later, you know, after just a lot of hard work and detailed planning, um, you know, all of our hard work is, is paying off. Before we jump over to Peter, random question, how many months did you go without a paycheck as an independent sponsor? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you have to, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, you know, I, I tell all independent sponsors, you can't do this part-time. I mean, you got to dedicate a, you know, you know, you know, your, your life to it. Um, and so, uh, but you're right. Um, I, I went almost two years without a paycheck. All right, Peter. Yeah. And you know, I, when we met Rob, it, it really fit the three criteria I hold myself to about any partnership with an independent sponsor. It really it does come down to these three things every time. First is providing lightly marketed or proprietary deals. Uh, you know, we do a fairly good job of sourcing deals from bankers, brokers, et cetera. Um, and, and so bringing a broadly marketed deal isn't very valuable to us at the end of the day. And, and especially now with how high valuations are, 
every, every marketed deal is probably overvalued and even more so when you're splitting economics with an independent sponsor. So we really look for independent sponsors that have either a unique sourcing method or a proprietary channel that they're sourcing transactions with, which Rob had, he had found a deal that frankly, a lot of restoration companies didn't even know about. Uh, and to his credit, he, he found a diamond in the rough and, and got it at a great value. The second thing is having an angle. Uh, you know, there needs to be a story and it's not just about the company and where to take it. It's also about what value is being brought to the table by all the parties, you know, uh, from an independent sponsor perspective, are you bringing proprietary add-ons for a roll-up strategy? Do you have operational expertise in an industry, uh, whatever the case may be, but I'm always looking for what everybody's bringing to the table. Uh, and, and a lot of that is inevitably because we're charging these companies management fees and the management team eventually is going to ask, what are you guys doing to earn this? And I always feel like we need to be bringing value to the table to justify that fee. And then the third is fit. And this is my life's too short rule. Uh, you know, there's plenty of deals out there, plenty of them you can get done. And I only want to do them with people I want to work with. So it's imminently critical to me that, you know, we, uh, we focus on, on fit early on. And with Rob, it was a great fit from the beginning. He came to the Gladstone offices. Uh, we met for a full day and, and it seemed like it was going to be a great fit and it has been. And, and going back to the angle piece, you know, Rob clearly had an angle. As you guys noted, he's done more deals in the space than anyone has been involved in a, in a roll-up strategy previously and, and knew how to make it a better process for, for Bassett Creek. So, you know, my, my kind of summary is, you know, I'd always come up with how, make sure when you're going to capital partners and, and figuring out where to go, make sure you're checking the boxes on those pieces and make sure you're, you're hitting the mark. John and Peter, I'm curious to hear kind of your thoughts. What, what percentage, if you had to make a generalization of independent sponsors that you've worked with or spoken with, do you think have a very specific strategy like Rob? Peter, I'll, I'll throw it out first. I mean, honestly, probably, 10 to 15% would be, would be my estimate. It's, it's pretty small, but it's not crazy small. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, the reality is most independent sponsors have been at uh, other private equity funds or in investment banking. Uh, so at that point, most of those groups are not, you know, they're generalists or they have more broader focuses. Um, you know, perhaps a, a lot of the independent sponsors I've seen coming from the consulting side perhaps are more specialized, but that's fewer and further between. Do you think that, um, the case to go to specialize either in one industry or in a few um, is worth the trade-off early? I think it has its pros and cons. And I think Rob can opine, you know, it, it definitely makes sourcing harder when you're limiting yourself to a very narrow swath of companies. I think it can be challenging to get your first one done, but it probably makes the likelihood that you can get that first one closed a lot higher. Uh, so it is a trade-off for sure. Uh, but you also don't want to put yourself in a position where you're specializing when that might not be the strongest suit of your independent sponsor firm. I think it's about finding your niche. An industry is not the only niche that can be filled. Oh, oh sorry. Uh, if, I, if I could just comment on that one. In, in the early days when, when I was uh, getting started with Capricorn as sort of our sponsor, you know, the original intent was to focus on healthcare. Uh, but my background from a credit-oriented hedge fund and Silver Point Capital was such that this was 2007. I literally joined, I joined working with Capricorn, if you will, in May of 07, right before the financial crisis. So while the plan was to focus on healthcare transactions, the opportunity of a lifetime came if you had dry powder 
on the debt side with the financial crisis. So we, we hit that really hard. Uh, that's that investment seemed really hard. It, it was just an unprecedented time. I mean, we were even buying secondary opportunities off of hedge funds and making great money. It's, you know, when, when, when a family office, which Capricorn is, is, is making off, making money off hedge funds, which it was at the time is a, is a pretty unique, uh, a unique day. And then ultimately we, as that opportunity went away, circa 2009, 2010, then we, we, we pivoted to the focus on, on healthcare. So I, I think sometimes you have to take what the, what the opportunity, what the market gives you. And in that particular time, it, it gave an incredible debt opportunity for a broad focus. But it's interesting because you did have a focus in healthcare. So you had the domain expertise within that industry as a, um, and I, I think that's one of the interesting things I've observed with Rob, your, your path and our discussions about that is that, you know, everyone in the industry and there's the trade-off of, of having to focus on the industry, but you know, so many people, the operators, the investors, the advisors, that there's a lot of concentration within that network. Um, John, maybe to kind of shift over a little bit, curious to hear, you know, what are some of the big considerations on staying fundless or going funded? And, you know, just what have you observed in the hundreds of independent sponsors you've spoken with, the pros and cons? And then let's just kind of kick it off from there, because I know in our prep call yesterday, it was basically turned into the event, because it was, <laughs> so John, we'll kick it off to you. Yeah, no, I guess I'd, I'd throw a few things there. One kind of echoing what, what Peter was talking about. It is, in my estimation, it's all about the fit, and it's all about finding the right partner for your opportunity. Um, and just to step back one second, I think what has made and, and um, was a big part of the reason why the marriage was so successful quickly is um, both Rob and Peter um, knew what their area of responsibility primarily was supposed to be um, and stayed true to that. And, and really um, there was a, a healthy ego check at the door, which I think is critical, right? I mean, they, both of them had an incredible working relationship from the very early days. And I think that is so critically important, which, you know, kind of segues to, to your question, Jordan. I think one of the reasons why so many of our independent sponsor relationships want to remain fundless um, is because it does allow them for each opportunity to bring the right capital partner to the situation. Maybe the next one isn't Peter and, and maybe it is, but having that flexibility is, is a huge consideration. Uh, certainly, you know, raising a fund, having that dry powder ready to go, being able to credibly talk about your $500 million fund, that's all great and, and obviously can be impactful. Um, but there clearly um, remains so much benefit to being fundless. And so I'd also throw out, of course, it is the opportunity to potentially pursue situations that, you know, maybe don't fit squarely within your fund mandate. Um, so obviously a lot of considerations, it's something that with so much dry powder out there, both for the independent sponsor led deal, but for also a committed fund. I don't think there's any right answer necessarily, 
Um, I just think everyone is struggling with the right answer for them. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll open it up for the rest of the panel to, to weigh in as well. Maybe I'll jump in there, John. Uh, you know, good points because uh, we actually spend a lot of time talking to um, fundless teams, uh, trying to convince them not to go to the fund route <laughs> to make sure just it's a good test. Going the funded route's a, a lot of work and so and, and many years of dedication. And so you can often have a very good life and uh, get paid by deal, deal by deal. Um, if you have a good uh, pathway to, you know, with committed capital partners and you have expertise that will make you an attractive business partner to, the, to your targets. And so if you have those two parts of the equation, often uh, staying um, independent is often very advantageous. If you are reaching into deals that are uh, more competitive, uh, that's where we see teams um, need the, the committed capital pool. Yeah, and one thing that we discussed uh, earlier was just how the independent sponsor market has changed. I mean, we've we've been dealing with independent sponsors over ten years now, and uh, terms have changed. Receptive uh, reception by the brand banker community has changed. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure when we get to the Q and A, we're going to yeah, talk a little bit about you know how that market has changed a bit. But now it's not a disadvantage, whereas five years ago, it probably was uh, from uh, getting a deal signed up, getting it under LOI. And I don't think that's the case any longer. And as there might be some additional pressure on two and 20 on the fund side, there's an opportunity to get deal by deal economics. And in a lot of cases, what we're seeing are uh, you can get actually better than two and 20 uh, based on higher return thresholds with a capital partner like Gladstone or with someone else. So, and without having any negative deals impact you across your portfolio, that's a pretty attractive dynamic at some level that's hard to pass up. I will say though, during 2020, um, many independent sponsors found their capital partners sort of rolling up the carpet and you know, saying, okay, we're not gonna do much more right now. And so if you had a committed fund during that time, it would have been very advantageous to scoop up some uh, great value. Yeah. I, I do think that I do think that is a downside, Cheryl. I think you're right. You know, again, going back to the again to the financial crisis, uh, which seems eternities ago, but you know that was a time period. If you didn't have a good partner or dedicated capital, it, it was hard to, to round it up to get transactions closed. I know times have changed since then, but but I think you're right. I think 2020 presented a little bit of a blip, and things are great now. But that is a a, a caution, at least on the independent sponsor route. I will caveat that with saying that getting that broad capital base of partners, limited partners into a, a dedicated vehicle is, uh, you know, often 300 plus meetings for, you know, 10 to 20 commitments. So yeah. uh, it's not, you know, it's not a, no. not a uh, easy path, uh, but it's, right. if you're prolific in your communications and uh, you've got a good pace of deals that are, you know, going to last for a number of fun vehicles, it can be, uh, it can be an advantageous vehicle which you'll celebrate uh, by fund three, but in fund one and fund two have a lot of work ahead. Yeah, yeah Barry, I was gonna ask you a question. Uh, how much of your time do you spend fundraising over a, a given year? And obviously not every year is the same, but could, could you give us a bit of an idea of what your time constraints are there? Yeah, it's, it's really decreased. You know, if I look at the background and how we did it in, in fund one with a, a large anchor investor signing up for half of the capital base, um, you know, that made it uh, easier. But it was still a good chunk of time. We uh, did not use a placement agent in fund one and two. Um, now, uh, now in fund three, 
uh, in, in a way it was, it was easier, you know, if you deliver in funds one and two, then you have people who will step up and invest with you. But look, I would say on any given time to answer your question directly, um, it's decreased from funds one to three, but it's still probably, you know, it, 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 it's sporadic, right? I mean, you can only really fundraise when you're in that period from a compliance standpoint and so forth. And then you, you hit it, our philosophy is we, we hit it very hard for a period of probably three to six months and, and we're wrapped up. Uh, and then on an ongoing basis, we're very focused on communicating with, with LPs and having those relationships. So if you do that along the way, I just I think it makes it a lot a lot easier um, for the for the fundraise. Um, and look, we do a lot of co-investments and, and going back to days when we were raising things deal by deal, you know, it felt uh, it felt like every deal could be almost like raising a fund. You know, you're going through this meetings and process and communicating on one deal. It, it could uh, it could take a fair bit of time as well. It it, it just depends on the market circumstance, the particular deal and who you're chatting with. Hey, Cheryl, mm -hmm. have, have you seen from your perspective um, a significant change um, and uptick in what I would call the, the hybrid model, right? Where it's not necessarily funded or fundless, but it's, you know, raising a, you know, smaller pool of committed capital, as Barry said, so much of these past however many years has been co-invest, co-invest, co-invest. <laughs> um, a lot of what we're seeing are people interested in having a pool of capital, recognizing that may be likely half of what they're going to need on any given deal. What's What's been your experience? Oh, yes. Co-invest is really the thing in fund one and fund two to really lock those investors and they get a chance to see your deal um, prowess. Mm -hmm live you know it's it's really that relationship management in between fundraising it's it's fabulously successful and in fact many social investors um require um you know some amount of co-invest so uh you know with fund sizes i think the smallest i would say i would set out with is about 150 million i think they the most common thing we see if you looked at the 50 you know funds we've seen that are really credibly uh, launching in the last uh, year you'd say probably the average uh, fundraise size is two to 250 in that range. And, uh, you know, hopefully, especially what attracts an anchor investor like us and, and others is that they're, you're going to scale over time. So you're going to be a bigger footprint. Uh, we can be a bigger footprint with you and institutional investors in turn can be a bigger footprint in your fund on the way to maybe 750. So it does require pacing, but you prove it out with the co-invest in fund one and two. So if you can do a $200 million fundraise, uh, do, you know, half as much in, in, in co-investment at least half as much, if not equal amounts, and you can prove yourself on, on the way to a larger fund. Yeah, sure. That, that was spot on with our experience. Yeah. I mean, our, our first, first fund, the co-investments we had were almost as large as the fund itself, and it created a great avenue to, to the next fund. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's painful, though, if you end up um, doing a very small fund and, and you end up at 90% co-invest, because some investors will insist on very, you know, uh, you know, be free, co-invest. So yeah. uh, that can be painful. And so we have seen some tendency, some acceptance of um, a very, very, you know, um, well-respected team getting uh, some economics above three X. It's going to be something, something, you know, on the upside to make sure that your small firm is is getting their due just desserts for uh, having uh, had a successful, very successful deal. 
But um, yeah, it's painful to give too, away, too much away from Comvest because it's ultimately most, most LPs think of it as a, as a fee break. Right. Rob, can you talk a little bit about like, you know, where's your head at? You know, you're, how many years are you into this? When was the first acquisition? First question is, how long did it take you when you went into the market to find a capital partner? How long did it take from beginning to, you know, signing with Gladstone? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting listening to all the panelists. You know, my approach was, I'm going to go really deep. You know, if I do one deal a year, that's a success. And, you know, admittedly, that's, that's a very narrow focus. Um, you know, the, the types of deals that I look at and, you know, I think maybe the Bassett Creek philosophy is, you know, let's really get deep expertise, you know, partner with operators, industry experts. Let's, let's not look at a thousand deals a year. Let's, let, let's, let's look at, Hey, what can we do to improve the business organically really you know, bottoms up approach. Um, and so I spent about, I mean, I came close on like, you know, I want to say a dozen opportunities, but uh, it took me about a year and a half to get a deal under LOI. And then with, you know, all the detailed planning, I would say, you know, four to five weeks later, um, you know, Peter and I were in heavy diligence, you know, marching towards a close. Um, so when I think about like funded versus fundless, um, you know, funded, there's, you, you probably, you have to do more deals. Whereas, you know, the way, I, the way I look at it as an independent sponsor, you know, I can do one deal a year and that's, that's phenomenal. Um, now it, it takes a lot of time to source those deals and it takes a lot of time to just the energy to you know, execute on the, on, on the strategy. Hey, Rob. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, George. Rob, I was just going to ask tied into one of the questions, uh, you know, other, other than Peter's uh, good looks and charm, I guess, looking back at, you know, that kind of um, analysis phase and finding the right capital partner as, as I was talking to Jordan, I guess, a couple of weeks ago, you know, for me, with my relationships, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I hear people say it just wasn't the right capital partner for this deal, whether it was, um, you know, not kind of staying in your lane on certain things, not supporting the growth plan, um, you know, just not the right fit. Um, and it's, it's so much of a, it's, it's never a, gosh, I wish I got that extra five points of a carry. It was, that just wasn't the right fit. But so thinking about it from your perspective, as you were going through that, what was important to you? Why did you ultimately settle on Peter? And, and what kind of advice would you have for other sponsors in that role? Yeah, the way I think about it, John, is, you know, you know, I'm married now, but I'm also married to Peter as well. And, you know, you know, Gladstone, they're great because you're just they're publicly traded. They're, they're highly ethical. They they're, you know, they're, they provide both the debt and the equity. So, you know, from a capital standpoint, you know, we have no we have no issue, but it really comes down to, to fit. Um, you know, I mentioned previously, you know, I was facing a bunch of headwinds. And when I, when I chatted with Peter, you know, it's almost like he got it right away. And I remember when I was talking to, you know, a bunch of investors, I put us, I was taking a bunch of notes when Peter was describing, 
you know, himself and Gladstone. And I stopped taking notes after like two pages. I just put a star and I was hoping he would you know, be interested in, <laughs> in the deal. Um, so it, it, you know, it's, you know, for, for what I was looking to do, Peter's almost the perfect partner, um, you know, and, and you, and you mentioned earlier, you know, roles and responsibilities, you know, that was very important. Peter and I had a lot of in-depth conversations about, Hey, you know, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? You know, that's evolved a little bit over time, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to describe what fit means, but, you know, the independent sponsors I talked to and just speaking from personal experience fit is by far and away the most important thing because if you know you know even if you get you know the best economics possible 100 of zero is still nothing yeah, and I'll, I'll tag on to that because i i, I see us on the q of a q and a here that there's some questions about how do you approach figuring out who the right capital partner is and you know i i really think that you're going to kiss a lot of frogs. It's that's the nature of this business. It's the same for any side of it. You only do one out of every hundred deals you even see at best. Um, but I would really recommend to any independent sponsor that's trying to find good capital partners, figure out the top five issues that really are critical in this industry, whether they're customer concentration, cyclicality, management succession issues, things of that nature, and really probe with that capital provider, which ones are non-starters for them in their business, which ones are acceptable, how have they dealt with those in their other funded or their other portfolio companies. And as you have deals that hit certain issues or don't meet certain issues, remember that and have, you know, that, that kind of criteria or, or whatever you would call it. So you go to the right people and save yourself a lot of time, but there's a lot, that's part of that first two years. It's not just finding the right deal. It's starting to figure out the capital partners and meeting the people in the market and what their issues are and aren't. And just to touch on that, Peter, um, you know, um, you talk about like the issues. Um, you know, my recommendation is lay everything on the table um, with your capital, um, potential capital partner, both the positives and the negatives. Because, you know, Peter and I, you know, we spent a lot of time um, with each other, you know, multiple meetings, multiple phone calls, you can't fake it. I mean, eventually, if, there, if there's something that, 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 that if there's some issue outstanding, they're going to, it's going to come about. So my recommendation is just lay everything out on the table at the beginning. Can we talk a little bit about how you find capital providers like Gladstone? You know, I know there's obviously the McGuire Woods Conference, but what are some other resources that independent sponsors who are trying to get their first deal or they have their second deal and they just want to go out to others and learn what's out there? Like, how do independent sponsors find capital providers? So I've been doing it now for five years. You know, I would say I have a you know, very good stable of um, good capital partners who I've shown deals to and. Who, I, who I've known for you know, you know five years, but looking back on it, um, you know I went to the the McGuire Woods Independent Sponsor Conference. That's a great resource. Uh, I met a bunch of independent sponsors uh, and capital providers. Uh, I probably talked to an independent sponsor, you know, someone who is who is an independent sponsor, or I was thinking about becoming an independent sponsor maybe once a week. So networking with other independent sponsors. I know looking back four years ago now, um, you know, I had a lot of independent sponsors give me advice. So it, it's a very, you know, it, it's a very strong community. So, you know, networking is, is really good. 
um, you know, and also just asking, you know, other capital providers, Hey, you know, if this deal isn't for you, do you have any recommendations? So it's a little bit, you gotta be scrappy. Um, you know, but I, I think that there are avenues, there, there are, there are resources out there and also panels like this. And, and Peter, I think touched on it a little bit as well, but you know, the, the wider acceptance of the independent sponsor community really is a, you know, in my book, a, a, a true standalone segment within private equity. We've certainly seen a significant uptick in placement agents and their focus on the independent sponsor community. Um, I think there are pluses and minuses to, to, to some of them, but that's certainly an alternative that a lot of independent sponsors are, you know, pursuing. Oftentimes, it can be less so about truly helping me find the capital and more so about expanding my team and leveraging resources that the placement agent can bring. So that's another angle that people have been looking at. That, that brings up an interesting point. Uh, one of the questions was talking about uh, infrastructure and team. You know, Rob, can, you found a CEO at 30 years of industry experience. You found someone to partner with that. I don't know how common that is with other independent sponsors, but can we talk a little bit about, you know, are there successful models on building a team or infrastructure in the fundless model? You know, there's an inherent challenge on timing of realizing economics and being able to keep up with the monitoring and the deal flow. Yeah, I think, you know, I learned, you know, some time ago that, you know, being the lone ranger, um, you know, you're not going to be successful. Um, you have to have a team, you have to have partners. So for Bassett Creek Services, our CEO right now is, is Dan O'Brien. Um, we partnered with his company um, six months after the, the first deal we did with Peter, then about a year later, um, you know, we named him CEO. Um, you know, from a roles and responsibilities standpoint, you know, there's a lot going on and, you know, you know, having, you know, having executives, having industry experts that can play a role that frees up my time to focus on other strategic initiatives. So, you know, whether you're a one person independent sponsor firm or you have a team of 10, you have to have you know, good partners, you know, good, you have to have other people around you because you know, the reality is that, you're going to be pressed for time, um, you know, both you know, in sourcing the deal and, um, you know, um, you know, monitoring the portfolio company. Barry, um, I'd be curious to hear kind of, you know, some of the key lessons that you wish others should know after, you know, fund one, fund two, fund three. I know, I know in our vlog episode on investors and operators.com, we, we went into these, but I'm, you know, curious if you could share those with us. Yeah, I know we talked about a couple uh, there, Jordan, but I think you know, first starting off, like we've talked about today, getting a, a great sponsor to start with is really helps a lot. You know, we've heard about Gladstone here, great firm, very helpful to, to Rob. You know, in, in my own case, uh, the CIO of Capricorn, which is Jeff Skull's family office, uh, he and I went back all the way to seventh grade uh, together. And he pursued a career, and I was at TriVest at the time. And uh, and he said, "Hey, how would you feel about um, you know doing uh, you know focusing more on a, on a platform where uh, where we would be backing?" So that was that was helpful. First, having that that relationship uh, with somebody was uh, was terrific. Um, I think then the the next is you sort of progress along. Um, you, you have to try and strike the right balance between those who got you in business and the folks you want to 
diversify a little bit too over time uh, with, uh, with investing. And that's, that can be difficult because in the early go, you're probably giving some concessions uh, around, uh, around uh, fees and, and such and, and carry and, and you know, you're just trying to strike that right balance. And, and, and I think a lot of the smart backers understand, you know, there's a, there's a team that needs to be fed and a portfolio that needs to be looked after. And as that grows to do a good job, you know, that requires a little bit more resource and dollars. So I think that's something striking that balance between those who get you, get you started and, and where you, you need to go to over time. Um, and then last, I would say just, you know, sticking uh, to your, to your knitting, uh, we, we've been, uh, oversubscribed in our funds. And I think, you know, you want to continue to focus on the opportunities that develop the track record and the success of your team along the way and just not grow too quickly over time. And I think we've, um, I think we've done a good job of that. I think if you look at the great funds out there that are successful, um, I think there's a nice pace to, to their growth and they don't necessarily just grow at the rate at which the market will give them capital. Those, those would be, um, you know, three of the things that always go through through my mind a little bit, Jordan. Very helpful to just um, quickly just get a sense, you know, interesting as you made the transition into fund manager uh, from deal, uh, you know, just from deals. You know, what I find is one of the hardest, interesting, just uh, initial uh, leaps that uh, managers need to make is, is actually going from talking about deals, the deal lingo, describing deals, to ask being an asset manager, why it works, what's your universe, what's your advantage in that universe. That th those are two different conversations, and I find it's very hard for for teams to actually uh, get into the speak that as actually relates to limited partners who need to think about this strategy against the other different asset classes even they're looking at um, and how they think about the middle market and how it fits in. Um, yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a good point, Sherlock. I, I was fortunate enough uh, to have uh, great experiences and learnings in that area with uh, with first Trivest as a very successful middle market fund, and then and then second with um, a hedge fund in Silver Point Capital. And for another day, I could I could share the benefits I think of being sort of in a private equity firm in a hedge fund. How I think there's a lot of benefits to those two as well, because certainly in the hedge funds, you think a lot more about portfolio construction, which I think is helpful. So uh, I, I was probably lucky enough to, to see funds and how they were run and be part of those uh, at a fairly senior level before, you know, before uh, launching, you know, into, uh, into the next chapter. So it was almost like fun world, a little bit deal by deal, and then launching another fund. And I think, I think that was helpful to do that. The last comment I would make to your point, Cheryl, is we too have done some independent sponsor transactions where we've backed uh, former CEOs who've had no experience in the investing world. And those are interesting ones, right? Because they find great deals typically. Um, they, are, uh, they can sell very well and say, look, I've been there and done that and get, and get good deals. But their knowledge of the fund world is, you know, is, is, is very small, like you say, right? And maybe that's not such a bad thing. Uh, but you know, in those situations, that's where we've tried to play a role a little bit with those independent sponsors and say, look, you know, we can help you with that aspect of things. If you are thinking about becoming a fund, uh, work with us because we've done that and we can make introductions. We can help you think about building a fund, the pros and the cons of what that looks like. 
because it is a different, uh, it's a different business, right? It's a different business and some choose to go the fund route and some don't. In fact, just off, I just got off a call where the fellow was in a, a fund and he's now going the fundless route for a lot of the reasons we talked about here. Um, so hopefully that answers your question, sure. And uh, so one of the questions from an attendee is uh, for Peter, is, is Gladstone typically providing most of the equity in a given deal? And if so, is it often the form preferred? What, what about additional debt providers uh, in a given deal alongside Gladstone? Uh, so on the equity side, yes. I mean, obviously, seller rollover, uh, equity invested by the independent sponsor directly or fee rollover is, is a big part of it as well. And we're always open to having other parties in the deal that, but again, it kind of goes back to what value are they bringing to the table? If you have an industry executive that wants to be on the board and can really add value, of course, who wouldn't want them investing in the deal alongside you? Um, usually isn't preferred, uh, but you, at this point, uh, going back to independent sponsor economics, five years ago, any independent sponsor you know, uh, investment would usually go in subordinated as would sell a rollover. Now everything's pretty much peri pursue except for the incentive equity pool. Uh, that's kind of become market. Uh, same way that catch up on all your carried interests become market uh, as of where it wasn't five years ago. Uh, and then on the debt side, we, what we do is we provide a unit tranche uh, slug of debt effectively, but we always look to bring in a more traditional line of credit uh, from a traditional lender or bank uh, post-close, but we bridge the deal with an interim line of credit to kind of handle the first six months post-closing. Great. Um, next one is, does the panel have any comments on dead deal costs and associated risks for independent sponsors? And how's this handled? I was John? hoping you weren't going to answer that one, Jordan. <laughs> Just don't yeah. have any dead deals. Just make it <laughs> yeah. And, and look, I think um, different capital partners, right, have their own different perspectives. I guess uh, my take on this would be uh, back to, it's all about relationships, right? So for the independent sponsor, I would make sure that your CPA firm, your legal firm, they're truly your partner on deals. And so if, if they have that mindset and they're willing to share the pain, as I like to describe it, um, that'll get you a long way there. Um, and then, you know, Peter, Barry, feel free to kind of weigh in on how you guys view that world. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you that. That's, that's part of our secret sauce about pitching to independent sponsors, to be honest. Uh, you know, there's, there's obviously the three legs of kind of fees, closing fees, carried interest, management fees. And there's always some game of whack-a-mole of kind of how you balance each of those three buckets in any deal, depending on what uh, the independent sponsor's needs are. You know, obviously with the first deal, closing fees and manager fees are probably somewhat more important than carried interest in some ways because you, you want to get paid because you've been on the sidelines for two years. The, the, third, the fourth thing that we really provide is the second that we sign an LOI with the independent sponsor, we're responsible for 100% of the broken deal costs because that's how committed we are when we sign an LOI. It's in that we take very seriously. And as a result, we're going to take it seriously from an economic perspective as well. So that's, that's a little bit of our pitch when we go to independent sponsors too. Yeah, Peter, I would just say that's, that's pretty, pretty consistent. If you get to the LOI stage, you know, we're going to be bearing the risk of that like any other transaction. Um, I, I would just add one of the things that we try to do as a healthcare only fund, if it is, if the independent sponsor is in a competitive situation and it's a healthcare transaction, uh, that, that certainly is a, is a plus. So er, very early on trying to be helpful to the independent sponsors, weighing through something like healthcare, healthcare IT, 
the specialization can be a plus, you know, beyond the dollars. Yeah, Barry, I, one question I'll ask you, because I saw it in the Q&A, and I'm sure Jordan will get to it, is, you know, when do you guys like to be brought into it? Obviously, we always want to be brought in as early as possible. What's your experience been? And I can chime in with my own afterwards. Yeah, early as possible, right, is, is the answer and, and give some feedback. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of the, you know, that's that way we can help make folks uh, a decision of this one's for us or not for us. Or, hey, you ought to think about uh, this group or that group. Maybe they could be helpful. So this, this, I, I can't think of a situation where it's been too early. Yeah, that's kind of my feeling as well. And I know a lot of I feel like that's changed a lot over the last few years as well, is that yeah. more of the time the independent sponsors probably finishing a Q of E, if not far along with one before we're even getting introduced. And, you know, I, I think it's important uh, to, to try to involve your capital provider as much as humanly possible. I know with this, the time between LOI to close is shortening and shortening with times so that makes that harder, but makes it even more important to maybe intro, figure out who your capital partner is even before you're signed that LOI with, with the company that you're trying to acquire. Uh, Cause I yeah. think there's, there's valuable input can be provided and not only that, I'm sure everybody on this phone call is seeing how hard it is to find diligence providers right at this exact moment. Maybe there's someone that your perfect, your capital partner or vice versa can bring to the table that could expedite things. I think that's right. And if I'm, I'm going to see an independent sponsor, there's probably a balance of, you know, there's a weight, how much do interest do I have in this transaction versus spending all the time and energy and running it all the way down the field to a point of, uh, of having the nice, pretty book analysis, Q of E, and, and, and fully baked, right? Um, you know, that's, you, do you go broad with a number of opportunities or narrow on one or two and kind of put your chips there? So um, I'm, I'm sure some folks that we work with um, and look at deals from, you can see how they vary in the approach that they take, you know, of not having anything at all versus a fully baked opportunity. Peter Barry, you guys, you, you guys hit on it for sure that that uh, has evolved in the, you know, when you get it under letter, come talk to me versus what what you're saying. I, I I'd love Cheryl Barry Peter. Uh, what do you see as uh, some of the next evolution, if you will, within the independent sponsor community? How how do you see the horizon and and other changes that we may see? Well, I'll, I'll give just my two cents. I actually don't think the independent sponsor community is going to change too much. I think they're going to take on more and more of that burden, like a traditional fund. And there's going to be capital providers that pivot to become more of a really servicing the independent sponsors exclusively, um, that they really are better uh, streamlined so that they can make quick decisions, review, um, you know, more like a fund of funds kind of view that you're just taking a lot of finished product and you're giving a yay or nay and you're in or you're out and these are the legal docs and you might be able to make a few changes. But I think the capital side is probably what's going to change more to fit the independent sponsor community because it is growing so rapidly. I've actually seen a real evolution though in, um, in the uh, information av availability and the comparisons. And so just as, you know, we, we actually just, just cover funds, but the, uh, in terms of just watching the independent sponsor community, the ability to make those relationships are much greater than they were even five years ago, just with, um, you know, just the availability of technology and getting deals done and signed and the speed is, is, is getting faster. The one thing I will say though, is, you know, there are discrete check sizes. And so you really wanna watch out as an independent sponsor, 
when the when the needle is moving in your marketplace because family offices or um, glasses will have a certain check size that they're accustomed to. And if you need to move, if your market or your expertise is in an area that's moving a different check size, you need to find out whether maybe that's the family offices or it's you know larger or it's, it's endowments and foundations or maybe it's getting into the pension side. You know, so there's discrete check sizes in the in the capital provider community that you just need to know where uh, where you are and maybe if your puck is moving around and that that's uh, could be a reason to change your structure. Yeah, Cheryl, I, I think that's right. Discrete check sizes. And then I think even the next potential evolution off of that, at least from what we see, is just uh, sector and sub-sector specialization. You know, just like in the private equity world, you know, 10, 20 years ago, a lot of generalists increased specialization, uh, starting to see that even more on the in, on the independent sponsor side uh, as well, at least from our uh, standpoint, from uh, some, some pretty very focused PhD life sciences working on X, and, uh, and we maybe just didn't really see that before. Mm -hmm. So just to completely contrast, to really put a pin in what Barry just said, and also just contrast what we're our universe we're talking about with you know, the sort of mid to large buyout fund that's a generalist. Um, and they um, are really facing a much slower uh, capital growth than sector specialist funds. So I put that dividing line that you typically have more sectors specialist funds under about 1.5 billion fund size and more generalist buyouts just by the funds and requirement to a smaller universe over about 1.5 billion. And the 1.5 billion, Bain just put out a report that the one, over 1.5 billion, they're growing about 10% uh, uh, um, capital growth, a little bit less uh, over the last decade. And sector specialist funds are growing at about 15, plus 15% rate in the last 10 years. So have, have grown. And so uh, there's really has been a focus where you know, the, the specialists are sort of chipping away at the generalists. Um, and so I think we'll continue to see that uh, evolve. Um, and so, yes, there's a lot of room for sector specialists, even, you know, whether it's a deal, uh, deal point where it's, it's, it's creating you, uh, creating a special strategic partnership with you and the, and the target, or it's, um, or it's just in, in a fund wrapper. Hey, John, I want to touch back on something just that sure. John said earlier, you know, that more and more independent sponsors are trying to get diligence done before really going to capital partners. John, do you think that's a perception issue on the independent sponsors part that they should be having a more buttoned up package to provide and that's why they're doing it? Or is there just a time constraint? Well, what's your perception on the reason for why that's happening? Yeah, I think it's partially a time constraint. I, I also think that um, you know, ultimately a lot of what goes into that um, dating and selection, I think it's arming the independent sponsor really wanting to be armed with the answers that you and Barry and others are going to be asking them. So I, I do think while the capital partners aren't as, you know, quick to say, come to me when you have this buttoned up, I think the independent sponsors realize the more I can get done a bit earlier, maybe before we're involved in full on negotiations, I think it, it does often come back to bandwidth. And, and I definitely see it both um, on the financial uh, as well as the legal side, really trying to get that uh, buttoned up earlier. And just to give the, my, my sense as a capital provider, that, that actually is probably more frustrating to us than helpful, I'd argue, because I think if bandwidth is an issue, that's something that we can help with. And we're not looking for a solution to every problem. But to Rob's point earlier about making sure all your cards on the table, identifying the problem so that we can all go hand in hand and go figure it out together 
that's all we really want to go do. It's not, we don't need everything pretty and tied up with a bow. Well, guys, I'll give the last word to Rob, the independent sponsor on the panel here. <laughs> well, I, I could talk for a couple more hours. Um, I think it's been a great <laughs> conversation and I'm really curious to see how the independent sponsor community evolves over the next couple of years. So great discussion. All right. Well, if you have any further questions or comments, please feel free to, to email us or reach out. And then we will get this, put it into a full video and recording and an article and distribute it by email and LinkedIn. Everyone, thank you so much for your time and look forward to hopefully a part two sometime soon.